Yeah, right. <laughs> Out of the mouth of babes. Hey, good stuff, guys. Um, and welcome to the new year. Welcome to a new series called Rethink It, part one of what will be four. In the month of January, we're going to go through this, this series. And here's the deal behind it. We want you to, to rethink not just what's at the periphery of your life, not just the easy things to change and to add on, but something about um, the core and the heart of who you really are. And that is actually very hard to do. And so the subtitle of this and the question beneath Rethink It is, what if you are not who you think you are? You know, what do we do then? And we want to talk about that this morning. And in light of New Year's, um, Greg brought up earlier how many of us have New Year's resolutions. And here's what we know about resolutions and goals. There are some that are, that are easy and some that are, that are hard, right? And the, the easy ones can get tapped onto the periphery or onto the outside of our lives without too much thought, without too much change. It doesn't take a lot to get up 15 minutes earlier, does it? But it actually can have a big effect on your day. But it doesn't really require you to rethink your identity to set the alarm for 15 minutes earlier. It doesn't require a lot of thought about your identity to decide to read one book a week or one book a month, although it might do something very good for you. It might help you, but those are relatively easy changes to make. Those goals that are kind of on the periphery are good and add value to your life, but they don't require a lot of hard soul work and heart work on rethinking who you really are. There are, however, some things that are deeper and harder and require more out of you and more out of what you perceive to be your identity. Things like breaking an addiction. All of a sudden, that's different. Or being the peacemaker in your family this year. If only I could set my alarm 15 minutes early. Where's that goal? Right. There are some things that are perhaps required of us or perhaps are available to us to do, but they require more heart work and are harder to do. And those are the things that I want to look at with you for the month of January. Not what we can do, but rather who we are. And what if you're not? What if you're not who you think you are? And what if the limits that you put on yourself are limits that you've put on yourself. Now, in order to get to that heart stuff, here's what I believe. I believe that um, how you see yourself is going to be a primary determinant of your behavior. How you perceive reality will drive what you do. I'll give you this illustration if you'll indulge me uh, on this hobby of mine for a moment. Uh, some of you know that I enjoy riding my bike, and I like to ride my bike fast and, and hard, if I can, trying to stay alive in the process. I've done some races in the past, and last year I was involved in a race called the Smoketown Airport Criterium, or CRIT. In the biking world, what that means is we go around and around in a circle, kind of like NASCAR, uh, for a mile loop at a time, and we, uh, you know, 50, 60, 70 guys lined up, and we try to ride our bikes really fast and be really important for an hour, okay? So we get there to the Smoketown Airport criterion. They close the airport down, and I'm all ready to get going on this, this race. Um, and races are very challenging for me. They push my body to a place where I don't normally go, and I don't really want to go on my own accord. And here's the strategy of the, the race. You essentially will push out hard and you try to drop people who aren't strong. You try to push out and, you know, survival of the fittest is really the name of the game. And whoever is willing to suffer the most will end up winning, which is kind of like life in many ways. Whoever suffers the most, you know, wins. Whoever is willing to put in the most work, you know, will, will do well. And so whoever is willing to suffer the most wins. Now, the problem, of course, is that you're 
primarily playing a mind game while your body is yelling at you. And so as the, the laps go on and the guys up front pick, it up, pick up the pace more and more, the question becomes, can I stay with the pace? Someone just increased the pace even more, even more, even more. And I'm already fatigued. I'm not even a third of the way through the race and I'm ready to be done. And there are things that go through my mind like, I don't know if I can keep up. Should I keep up? Is this even worth it? I mean, what am I doing this for? I'm not going to end up doing this as a, as a career. You know, this is just meant to be a hobby on the side. And in the Smoketown race last year, here's what ended up happening. I was able to stay with this, this group well enough and, and we're able to kind of finish together. But as we were coming around to the final finish, um, and at that point, there's about 25 of us, or maybe maybe 30 or so. Um, and I am exhausted. My 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 body is done. I, I am I am just you know emptied of everything that I have at that point. And then it's time to sprint. Then it's time to actually accelerate and give whatever is left in the tank to give. And I just don't have a whole lot to give. And there go the guys out front, and I finish somewhere like 23rd or something like that. And so here's what I feel like when I roll across the line, man. I'm a losing bike racer. Now, I know, I know that it's not a career, right? I'm not going to make this into anything big, but here's what I think. As I look at reality, as I look from my perception, here's what I think in that moment. Man, I just failed. And I, I was like, I don't even know what I was, 20 in the 20s or something like that. And look at all those guys who did better than me. Now, here's what happened about five minutes later. As we roll around and finish and get over to where families gather and greet or, you know, friends are there. My kids come up to me and they, they say, Dad, you did awesome. About 10 minutes later, I watch a clip that one of my kids took of the final, they call the sprint finish. And I heard one of them just subtly, without even thinking about it, saying and kind of urging me on and saying, come on, Dad, you can do it, without even realizing that they were saying it because they were pulling for me so much in that last moment of that race. And in the last moment of that race, I was saying, this is stupid. Why am I doing this? And they're saying, come on, dad, you can do this. And all of a sudden, here's what happened to me. I realized that what just happened was not that I lost the bike race, but that all of a sudden, for a moment, I became a dad who gave courage and hope and inspiration to my children. And how you see reality changes everything. All of a sudden, I can speak to them from a position of, you know what, when things get hard, you don't give up. Remember that race? Remember when you were pulling? <clears throat> I was ready to be done, but I want to tell you, that's what life is going to be like. When you're ready to give up on your math homework, when you're ready to, to give up on that relationship, when you're ready to give up on your soccer stuff or your music stuff, or when you're ready to just, just quit. Remember that deal? You can't quit. And all of a sudden, Things change drastically from man being down in the dumps to, you know what, what a win to be able to have my children be a part of something like this. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. And here's what I think you already know, that your vision creates your reality. That your vision creates your reality. Your vision and your reality is different than mine, no question about it. Some of you are changing diapers in the middle of the night still. You know, we pray for you. <laughs> we encourage you. But here's sometimes what happens for you. You feel like, man, my reality is I'm just a diaper changer in the middle of the night. No, you're not. What if you're, what if you're a, a serving, loving, and caring, courageous mom or dad who is self-sacrificing in that moment and not just changing a diaper? A machine can change a diaper, but a loving, self-sacrificing mom and dad serves and loves children even when they can't return it. And what if you're a dad who's not just going to work to get a paycheck and not just finishing work around the farm or in the business to make money for your family? What if you're actually 
a loving, leading provider who, yes, goes to work to provide for the family, but actually leads there and serves them well at home too because that's who you are. You're a leading, serving provider for your family, not just someone who brings money home. See, how you see your reality, where your vision creates your reality and how you live in it. And so this morning, as we talk about this series of Rethink It, you know, where are we going with this? We want to talk about how we see ourselves, because how you see yourself will create the reality in which you live. If you think you're nothing more than a producer, nothing more than someone who gets up to change diapers, that's all you're going to do. But if you see yourself as a, as a loving, serving, caring mom, as a dad, as a husband who is a leader, and a provider and a nurturer, you are going to live into and walk into that reality. Your vision of how clearly you see who you really are will create the reality around you. Now, that may sound, uh, that may sound a little bit like, um, uh, I don't know how else to call that, it may, it may be some self-help stuff. Like, well, that sounds kind of neat. Like, let's package that and sell that in a book and, you know, go that way. Hold, hold the feelings on that for a moment because I believe God speaks to this pretty clearly and we're going to get to a passage that will speak to this for an entire month for us. And here's what I want for us in this series. I would like for us to be able to engage in this series. I would like for us to be able not just to hear but to engage and be involved. And so for that, we've done a couple of things uh, for you. Number one, you will see at the end of your pew, um, just to the aisle side, there are some cards. And these cards are... Um, you know, this size right here, and they're, they're rethinking on the front, and we have our main passage for the year on these. And so some of you have already taken the cue, and you're handing them down your aisle. Um, there are, should be plenty for you around there. Some of the pews are fuller than others, so if there's somebody missing one, you can go to the pew in front or behind you to get them. And here's why I have these cards for you. Number one, I'd like you to have, for the month of January, this passage of Scripture around you in your life somewhere. And if paper doesn't do it for you, that's fine. You know, make it electronic for you, whatever you want to do. But I'd like you to have this, this, this thought from the Apostle Paul around you, from the book of 2 Corinthians. And on the back, we have, we have done something special on the back for you. That's right. We have left room for you to write on the back. And what I would love for you to write, what I'd love for you to write in your own words are your top two or three reflections from this series for you that the Holy Spirit is teaching you, that you're observing, that you're seeing, that are principles that you can pull from this and say, this is true for me. This is what I need. Ah, that was something I learned. That was something I need to deal with. That was something... Mm. We'd love to have you write for, just for yourself. You're not turning these in. You're not doing anything with these. But we want to give you room to engage. Say, okay, here are the top two or three things that I learned from this series that I need to put into practice. We're also creating, for those of you who are more um, online people and, and do that, we're also creating a, a hashtag for this series. We're going to experiment with that. If you don't know what a hashtag is, then you're probably not going to use it anyway, so I'm not going to explain it. But So the hashtag is GPC Rethink It. So if you're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, if you want to... Um, to throw out thoughts, comments, questions related to anything that you're engaging with in this series, um, that will allow us to track the conversation on social media and continue to engage with one another on what we're seeing, what we're learning, you know, and anything related to this series. So GPC, hashtag GPC, rethink it, uh, will be our, our hashtag for the month that we're going to go on, all right? So with that being said, um, why don't you go ahead, if you have your Bible uh, with you, why don't you go ahead and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, or you can you know, look at your card if you want to 
you know, cheat, that's fine. But I want you to know it's actually in the Bible, all right? It's not just something that we put on a card. If you don't have a Bible or don't have one with you, there's one in the pew around you. It's the red book there, and that's our gift to you if you don't own one. Uh, 2 Corinthians is in what we call the New Testament, about two-thirds of the way through the Bible to your right there. You will find 2 Corinthians um, in there, about seven books in, something like that. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, all right? Now, uh, the guy who wrote this is, the name, is named Paul. Um, he wrote this letter to a church in the ancient city of Corinth. And Paul um, had a really unique experience. He uh, came to faith in Christ through some really dramatic experiences. He was walking on a road to persecute Christians to put them in jail. And uh, the Spirit of God came on him and you know, struck him blind. And then he went to a city and eventually was healed. But his life was completely turned around. So he was all things against Christians. He was all things against uh, what, is, you know, what is related to, to Jesus and the cross, all things against that. And now all of a sudden he's all things for it. And so he's putting all of his energy for the things of God, the things of Christ now. And here's what I'd like you to, to think about this morning in this Rethink It series as we get into Paul and his writing to this church in Corinth. Um, I'd like you to, to think um, this way in rethinking this morning, not just rethinking your life and who I am, you know, what does that actually mean? I want you this morning to, to rethink with me what you perceive to be your limitations. Right? This is the niche this morning. This is the niche. This is the area that we want to rethink this morning is what you think your limits are. I want you to rethink what your limits are. Some things that you think, um, I can't do this, um, I can't go this far. I have a limit here, and we're going to keep pushing this out in just a moment. But this morning, I want you to rethink, and I want to walk you through some of how do I do that and what actually are my limits. But I want to think with you on rethinking what my limits are. And we're going to use the first two verses of 2 Corinthians 5 as our basis. So if you have your Bible there or you have your card, we're going to look at verses 16 and 17 this morning. And verse 16 is so powerful uh, that I was originally just going to speak on that this morning because it can hold its own message and more by itself, but we're going to put 16 and 17 together this morning. So Paul is writing, and he's writing to this church, and, and he's saying this in verse 16 from the NIV. So, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. All right? This is Paul's writing. Now, let's look at the first sentence because this is the critical piece. He says this, and I'm going to throw it up here just to highlight some things in this text. Not a bunch, but we regard, he says, we regard, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Now, if you look at this word regard, this is this key, the key concept of this passage comes out of verse 16. The, the Greek word for regard uh, would mean to see or to observe. Uh, that's kind of the, the background of that word. So what he's saying is here that we used to look at things when I would see things, when I would see people and even see myself, when I would look, I would see a natural world of cause and effect. I would see a natural world in which if this happened, I would expect this to happen from this worldly 
point of view. That it's just natural to see that, you know, hey, if you work hard, you'll make a bunch of money. You know, if you, you, know, if you eat well, you know, you're going to generally be healthy. That, that there's this natural cause and effect that the world has that, that I see that if I follow generally the rules of the, the world in the sense of the laws of nature, then certain things will happen. And I also will see and observe that um, there are certain, this, this is now my language, there are certain um, limits that we have in relationship with one another. That there are certain limits that we'll have in how frequently we're willing to forgive one another, let's say. Or how much I'm willing to have compassion on someone who is less fortunate than me. Or there are certain limits that I have on how willing I am to work, walk into conflict you know, resolution. There are certain limits that I have there. There, there are certain limits that, that there's ways that the world works and ways that the world doesn't work. If you want to get ahead in your job, you do certain things and you kind of know what those are. And if you don't really want to get ahead, then you're not really caring about it anyway. And you're not going to be the one who shows up early and stays late. There's certain ways that the world works. And if you kind of play by the rules, then you can work well in this world. And here's what Paul's saying. So now we no longer see one another, no longer view or regard one another from a worldly point of view. And so the question becomes, when I think of myself in this um, passage, the question becomes, what do I see? Okay, what do I see when I look around me? What do I see as I look at myself in relationship to the people around me in my various places of influence? So let's just be practical here for a minute. So think with me about these places. What do I see, you know, at school or in my marriage or, you know, at work or in my family or in my relationships? You know, what do I see myself being at school, for example? You know, so I know, let's just say at school, I know that there are some cliques, there are some people who don't get along with others, and I see it, but I don't have the ability to make that any better. I don't have the strength to do that. I don't have the vision, I don't have the courage to change the way that my class communicates, the way that my relationships work. I don't have that ability to do that. You know, and my marriage, you know, I, my husband is, you know, occupied with his hobbies or his work, and, you know, my wife is busy with the kids or, you know, with her girlfriends, and we don't always connect, and I don't know as a man how to lead her into that. I don't know how to pray with her, okay? I, I don't know how to, to lead and serve her or the kids. Like, I, there are limits that I have, and I don't know how to do that, and so I will just provide and work, but I have a limit as to what I've been gifted with, because after all, my dad never showed me how to do that, and my mom never showed me how to do that. And so when I look at myself in my marriage, here's what I think my limit is. That there's some people who can do that, but that's just not me. You know, at, at work. And we have, we, we have this little thing with the boss, and he doesn't know about it, and we just, as employees, we kind of you know, don't speak well of him all the time, you know, around the water cooler or whatever. But, hey, you know, it's just not that big a deal. It's just the culture of the job. And who am I, you know? Who am I to work to change that culture? And I, I'm not an outspoken person. I, when I get to talking, sometimes I stumble over my words, and I'm not the one, certainly, who God would ask to change the culture at my work from me on up. I mean, what does he think I am, Moses? Some guy who can't talk and now has to talk all of a sudden. You know, as we look around in my family and my relationships in every area, what do you see that if you had, if you happen to have all the resources in the world for a moment, if you happen to, to feel like, you know what, if only I would, if only I had, 
I would do that if only I could. You know, what are those things that you see that are your limits right now? That you run into and you wish could be different about yourself, about the place where you work, about the family that you're in, about the school that you're a part of. What do you see that you wish could be different, but you think, I can't, because I'm not gifted to do that? You know, what do you see? So here's what happens with us. We begin to think that certain things are inevitable. My marriage will always be this way because this is who I am. School will always be like this because it's just the way it is. Work will always be a bit of a drudgery because that's the way it works. My family will always be awkward and tense because it takes too much to try to fix it. And certain things become inevitable. And we just become a little fatalistic sometimes about it. And so here's what Paul says. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. And then here's why that's true. Look at the second part of verse 16. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Now, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but do you realize, you probably do, because I'm going to say it and it's going to be obvious, but we don't really think about it this way. Do you realize that Jesus' resurrection was a complete surprise to the disciples? Do you realize that they did not expect that? That even though they walked with him for three years, and even though he told them in veiled terms that if you knock this temple down, it'll be risen again in three days, you know, I'll build it up again in three days, that they didn't get it. There was no one there on the third day when he rose from the grave. There was no welcome party. There was no one there throwing a, a big event and you know, signing people up to come and celebrate the resurrection that will happen. There was no cheering at the crucifixion because, hey, it's only three days and then we're going to be victorious. There was no expectation that this was going to happen. Which is why Mary and the women went to the tomb on the third day to, to prepare his body, to, to prepare his body with perfume and all that they did. Because they expected that the rules of the world work all the time. And there's a certain way to live. And when you die, you stay dead. And so we're going to go do what we do and prepare the body. Which is why they were surprised, and they came running to the, to the guys, to the disciples, and the disciples then ran to the tomb, which was, not, which was a shameful thing for a man to do at that time, to kind of you know, get, get, get on his horse and head to the tomb. It was a little bit shameful to run that time, but they run. Why? Because they're surprised, and they frankly don't believe the women. And so here's what Paul's saying. We used to see the world as a closed system, Everything was subject to the laws of nature, of life and death. And though we once regarded Christ in this way, even during Jesus' ministry, during his teaching, this is what we thought. If he dies, he's dead. Because no one does this. That's it. I mean, good teacher, way to go. But if you die, you're gone. And so Paul is saying, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we used to see the world as though there were certain things that were inevitable a.k.a. death. But when that changed, everything changes. When death is no longer inevitable, then everything about life 
becomes possible. Right? When death is no longer inevitable, then everything about how we live now becomes possible. That's a big deal. That's a game-changing deal. That death is now off the table as inevitable. And it was. And though we once regarded Christ in this way, now we no longer view one another from a worldly point of view. In other words, I used to look at you and you and you used to look at me and you would see my limitations. And I would look in the mirror and as I'm coming around the race course a few times, I would look at my limitations and I'd say, I can't keep up with the fast guys. I am too tired. I have limits. And I would look at it myself that way. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. Hold on. Because of the crucifixion and the resurrection, now we no longer view one another this way. And then he says this in verse 17. Profound statement. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, so if you have placed your faith, if you believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, if anyone is in Christ, then here, really profound statement. The new creation has come. Not will come later. Has come, as in, Upon your belief, there's a new creation that has come to you as a believer, as a follower of Jesus. And then this statement, the old has gone and the new is here. Not the old will go upon death and we have future hope, but the old has gone. There is a past tense reality that that all of a sudden, upon faith in Jesus, because he conquered death and life, that everything becomes And so here's what we see through verse 17, that that change at the deepest level, that change, change, change at the deepest level is at the heart of the Christian message. The heart of the Christian message is actually that you and I experience a change of nature. There's something different about those who place their faith in Jesus, that the old has gone and the new has replaced it. And there's a certainty to this language. There's a confidence to this belief. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, there's a certainty that the old has gone. And with it, the old of the old way of thinking about life. That it's inevitable. Death wins at the end of the day. And all of a sudden, if death doesn't win, then just about everything about life becomes entirely possible. And so, the question is this. What if you're not who you think you are? What if you're not who you think you are? What if you are not as limited as you think you are? What if you are not as unable to speak as you think you are? What if you are not as as unable to lead as you think you are not unable to lead? What if you actually have greater capability than you actually believe in yourself because how you see yourself creates the reality around you? This is not a self-help message. This is Christian theological thinking. This is the identity of the believer in Jesus Christ. That change at the deepest level is at the heart of the Christian message. That there may have been some things that you and the, the old self were unable to do, but the old has gone and the new has come. Let's look at it this way. There's some characteristics of inevitability that we need to talk about. That when we think we can't, there's some things that become inevitable. And here's what we know about inevitability. If something um, seems inevitable, we stop trying, right? Like if you are working in a job um, where maybe let's say it's a family business and you happen to be working with the son of the owner and there's one position for manager coming open. What do you think your chances are? See, if you, think, if you think something is inevitable, we stop trying hard. We stop creating. 
right? If we think something is inevitable, we just got to give up. Because why? Why try when it's inevitable? Why try when the relationship will never get better? Why should I try? It's inevitable. Why should I work on the marriage again? This has been 27 years that we've been like this. It's inevitable. You know, why should I work on this with my kids? I mean, they just never listen. I've tried over and over. You don't know how many books I read. It's just inevitable. And when something seems inevitable, we just stop creating. We stop trying. We just do. Now, add on to that, this reality. That this is maybe a little wordy, but I don't know how else to say it. If something unbelievable happens, we become more open to believe that other unbelievable things might happen. Got that? So when you walk into your bathroom and your little uh, you know, toddler son has just put the seat down on the toilet, you think, unbelievable. There is a God. <laughs> and maybe other unbelievable things could happen. Last night I fixed something in my house. Unbelievable. Other unbelievable things can happen too. See, when we begin to see things happen that we didn't think could happen, it makes us think maybe other things can happen that I thought weren't possible before. When you read stuff in the news about the, whatever, the technological advancements of, let's say, NASA, who now has an has the capability of, get this, printing a wrench at the space station for their job they needed. So they sent the specs back to the Earth over email. They created the program that was necessary, and they emailed it back. They emailed the specs back to the space station. The space station printed the wrench, the physical wrench, 3D wrench that worked to, create the pro- to solve the problem that they needed. Unbelievable. We can land an object on a flying meteor in deep space. It's unbelievable. And when you start reading about those things, you know, the the next technological advancement, wow, yeah, I I begin to expect the the unbelievable. So when we begin to see that unbelievable things can happen, we begin to kind of open up the door that used to be closed. We thought, this is not possible. It's just not, well, maybe it is. If we can print a wrench, what, what more can we do, you know, from deep space? What more can we do? So here, let me ask this question then. Let me, let me ask this. What becomes more unbelievable? Think, think with me about this. What is more unbelievable? That you can hope for change. Right? So, that, so that, that you can hope that you actually can change. That at the core of who you are, there's something about you that has limited you that you've been afraid of, that you've been kind of nervous about stepping into, that you, you're not sure you want to go there because you've had failure before or whatever. That, that, what's more unbelievable right, that you can change or, or that a dead man can live again? Which is more unbelievable? Because of the resurrection, everything about my limits change. What's more unbelievable? Of course, the resurrection. I mean, we follow this man who said, I'm going to die and in three days come back to life, and he did it. And when you do that, we tend to follow a guy like that. And because that unbelievable thing happened, I'm telling you that my unbelievable thing about who I think I am can change too. That unbelievable thing about your marriage, perhaps that can change too. That unbelievable thing about your work, perhaps that can change too. About your family, perhaps that can change too. Perhaps in your school, that can change too. And perhaps, 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 you are the one to create the change that's needed. Perhaps.
the question becomes, <laughs> what if your limits aren't what they thought they were? I want to tell you about my dog for a minute. Um, we, have, we have a dog named Riley. She's a Border Collie. Um, now, I wasn't sure if I should tell the story because I don't know how some of you feel about dogs. and so It was dangerous to tell a dog story, but here's the deal. I believe dogs are nice things, all right? They're not made in the image of God, though, okay? Just to be clear there. Nor are they to be kicked around and abused, all right? So just so you know, they're not quite on the level of humans, all right? I'll say that. So we got um, Riley as a border collie. Her temperament as a dog is to be um, energetic. Uh, she's a herding breed, and so she'll like to herd stuff. You know, anything that goes by me, let's herd it, let's run and, and, and herd and all that, which is great. Um, you know, we live on... Uh, about a half acre, um, not too far from here, and have a little bit of room for her to, to run around. Of course, we have neighbors, and we don't want her to go into the neighbors. I don't really want to put a half acre fence, you know, well, even bigger around my property. It's just too much to invest in keeping the dog in the property. So the solution was get a shock collar, okay? Now, we use that within the bounds of, you know, I think, human reason, right? And, and, uh, and kind benevolence toward an animal. We put this thing on Riley, and we had the remote control. We, meaning me, I had the remote control. And we didn't know if it would work, and we dialed it way down. All right, just so you know, we dialed it way down because I wanted to start and you know, see, see if it would work. So she goes off, and we've been trying to teach her not to go into the horse pen that our neighbor has. And so she finds a way almost immediately under the fence into the horse pen. We're yelling at her, come on back, come on back, come back. She's not coming. So I hit the button. I hit the button. You know, and... and and it works, all right, it works. And then she comes back to us, and, and um, actually she just came back under the fence and just lay down on the ground because she had no idea what that was. But she began to associate that there are, there are limits <laughs> to where I can go until I get that thing from heaven that kind of, boom, you know, no, hits me. So here's the thing with Riley now is... Um, she does pretty well, at least without getting into the horse pen. And if she's thinking about it, here's what we notice. She actually goes up to it and then looks around first to see if we're anywhere. And then she'll maybe kind of sneak in. And then I come out and I see her in the pen. I'll, I'll, tell, you know, I'll you know, say her name. And then she'll come running, running back with her tail between her legs and kind of, you know, coming up to us like that. But here's what Riley doesn't know. Her batteries have been dead for like two months. It's the truth. Because I don't, need, I don't need to shock her anymore at all. Because the power is gone, even though she thinks she has the same limits. In truth, she doesn't. And this is just like the way we live, isn't it? That we wear kind of the burden of the sin nature around us. We wear the burden around us, but in truth, when we place our faith in Christ, the power of that sin nature is replaced and gone. And what it feels like to us is everything is the same. Everything is the same. I feel the collar. I feel the weight. I know I'm not nearly as good as I should be. I know that I fail in my personal life. I know that other people are better than me. You know, I feel that weight. And what we feel is the collar around our neck, but what we don't know is that the batteries of sin are gone. The old is gone and the new has come. It's not gone totally because we have yet to be in heaven with our Savior. But while we're here, the batteries of that are gone. The power of that is gone and it would be a shame for us to live our entire lives in the limits of what we set on ourselves 
because we're afraid to push out into boundaries that have been opened to us because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So here comes the question. What do I need to do? What do I need to do? What do I need to do with what I've heard this morning? What do I need to do with what I heard this morning? What do I need to do? What do I need to do with who maybe I need to forgive? With who maybe I need to write a note to? With maybe how I think about my role as a husband and as a father, as a wife, as a mother, as a single man, as a single woman. You know, what do I need to do? What do I need to do if it's true? If it's true that when Jesus died and came back to life, that the inevitability of failure and discouragement and worry and anxiety went away with the hope and life and joy of the cross and life eternal. What if it's true? What if it's true that you are a new creation in Christ? That the old is not coming, excuse me, the old is not soon to be gone, but is gone. And the new is not coming, but is here, now. What if you actually believed that you are a new creation in Christ? And the things that you feel like are insurmountable actually, compared to the resurrection of Jesus, are peanuts. What do you need to do? Who do you need to talk to? What do you need to write down? What do you need to schedule? What do you need to start? What do you need to stop? What do you need to add? What do you need to decrease? In light of this truth, that we no longer regard one another from a worldly point of view. We no longer regard one another from a worldly point of view. Because in Christ the new has come and the old has gone. What do you need to do with what you have just heard? Let's pray together. Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you that we have a chance to spend a few moments in your word this morning in trying to see clearly who we are, that our reality that our reality might be just what it needs to be, that we can live with intentionality, with care, with purpose. That we can be men and women and young men and young women, boys and girls who are, who are able to live in light of who we are as new creations in Christ. That because of the, the grace of the offer of salvation to us, because of the cross, because of the resurrection, because death has been conquered, now all of the, the rules of nature and life are, are changed because of what Jesus has done. And so that I pray, Father, that you would allow this reality that the, the truth of your grace has come upon us and changes who we are at the very core of our being. Give us courage to try again, to think again, to hope again, to trust again. And we thank you for what you will do as our King, as our Savior, and as our Lord. In Jesus' name.